When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broncos country. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. Touchdown Denver. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Touchdown Denver, hosted by myself, George Story, the Denver Gazette, my good friend, Nick Ferguson. Nick, I'm not going to ask how you are today, uh, because we have a lot to get to, Nick. We don't have any time for how you're feeling today, Nick, because the Denver Denver Broncos have fired Nathaniel Hackett. Um, They have totally lost control. Uh, They got smashed by the Rams on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. Uh, to the Denver Broncos and uh, Nick for the second year in a row, they're going to be doing a head coaching search. What's what, just what are your thoughts? Were you surprised? Uh, did you agree with the move? Uh, and we'll, I guess we'll just go from there. Well, you know, none of us uh, were surprised based on how the season was working out, you know, thus far. Uh, my, my only question was if you allowed it to go to this point, you might as well allow him to finish out and, and that being a thing you hack it the final two games of the season. I mean, relieving him of his duties right now does does absolutely what, in, in my opinion. And for me, it does nothing. I mean, it was inevitable. It was something that was predicted as uh, a course of action by George Payton and the new ownership. But uh, why do it right now? You could have done it eight weeks ago. Hell, you could have done it after, you know, week four, if that's what you wanted to do. So my whole thing is once you start something, you finish it. That was something my dad taught me as a kid growing up. So it was a complete disaster from the beginning. You might as well allow him to finish to the end. See, I disagree, Nick, because what happened Sunday and, you know, when I was there on Sunday, you could feel it. Like all season, it felt like Hackett had control and, you know, yes, things were going poorly, but the team wasn't lost and guys were playing hard. Um, you know, there was no internal, you know, um, um, you know, beef, I guess is the right word. I don't know. Um, you know, guys still believed in him. Sunday, there was a complete lack of control. Obviously, we saw that play out with whatever Randy Gregory was doing, um, which was just a total outburst and out of control, him throwing his helmet, the roughing the passer was a kind of a weak call. But if you watched him, Nick, we were all, all, all in the press box watching him. He was stirring stuff up the whole game, trying to to start a fight. And then post game, obviously he punches a guy. And then you've got your left guard, 
who, by the way, is the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, pushing the backup quarterback. You've got Latavius Murray breaking it up, who's only been on the team a few weeks, and the rookie wide receiver, Montrell Washington, the smallest man on the team, also breaking it up. Um, and it just was a disaster. And then post game, Nick, Hackett comes out and really doesn't say any of its, you know, he says very, very subtly, he says, oh, yeah, it was unacceptable what Randy did. But he's also kind of defending him, saying, I oh, just wants to make a play and all this stuff. And it, I, I think that it set, it was the wrong tone, Nick. And then you go in the locker room and this is where this is where I knew something was was bad. You go in the locker room and usually you go in after a loss and, you know, I'm not saying guys are, are excited or anything like that, but there's usually some sort of hope or they say, hey, we got to fix this. We got to fix that or whatever. There was none of that, Nick. There was guys, you know, bolting to get out of there. They didn't want to speak to the media. Uh, guys were angry. Guys that did speak to the media were very brief. Uh, there was not a whole lot of positivity. And when that to me, it felt, Nick, you could just feel it in that locker room. He had lost it. And you add just kind of the, the, again, national television, all the stuff that went wrong, not on the field. You're going to get beat on the field. They got embarrassed on the field. But it was off the field stuff, Nick, that I think did him in. And I think that the Pinner group woke up um, on Monday morning and said, we, we have to do something because this is unacceptable. And I think that they wanted to send a message. And I think that's why they ended up letting him go. And And I get what you're saying, Nick. And I thought, too that they would wait. Uh, and I agree you finish what you started, but at the same time, I think that they just reached a tipping point where they're like, we have to make a move and, and send a message. Well, well, George, with all that being said, what it seemed as though that happened is uh, on national television, that that was the tipping point because they were going to fire Nathaniel Hackett probably anyway. But the embarrassment is what kind of sped it up. And knowing as though you are in Los Angeles, right? Two four and, teen, four and 10 teams fighting out on national television. It wasn't in front of a large audience at SoFi Stadium. And oh, by the way, you're in the home of the Super Bowl champions, Stan Crockett. You're sitting in his suite. So knowing as though you guys are part of a family and you have a family just like I have one. And sometimes there, there's a very strange dynamic that happens in our family. And sometimes when individuals are winning, they may boast a little bit. And I'm not saying that Cronky boasted, but I'm sure there were a couple of maybe smirks or laughs. And if you are uh, an owner, like um, you know the Penner Walton family are in a very prideful family, I would have to say, that rubbed you the wrong way. With everything, and, and what I mean by that, the optics of everything, uh, the gameplay, the interaction between Reisner and Rippin on the sideline, the Randy Gregory situation, all of that came to a tipping point. It was just like, yo, we were all embarrassed, not just Hackett, not just the team. We were all embarrassed as an ownership, and we needed to do something about it. And, and really quickly, you know, not that I'm going to defend Randy Gregory or Nathaniel Hackett, but I'm just going to speak on this because, you know, I've been in a situation when your team is, isn't performing well on either side of the ball and even including special teams. Sometimes you get frustrated as a player and that's not to say that you always make the proper decisions. So Randy Gregory, a guy, once again, I never thought that should have come back for the remaining couple of games in the season. 
he was a little agitated, right? So his mindset was probably, you know what? We're losing the battle, but we're not going to lose the war. And he took it upon himself to get a little get back, right? And that get back went entirely too far. And sometimes guys think that they're adding, you know, fuel as far as trying to create some energy or a spark, but it becomes a disaster. So that's exactly what Randy Gregory was attempting to do, but it turned out to be something that hurt the team opposed to helping the team. Yeah, and the Randy situation is, it's just all around, I think it was handled the wrong way, Nick. Like, I I personally don't think he should have ever played Sunday. He didn't practice all week. And there were indications through the week that he didn't feel like he should be playing on Sunday. And for him to go out there and play, it felt like it was sort of a, a, I don't want to say that he was forced to play, um, because I don't think anybody's forced to play, but I think there were people in his ear saying, we really need you to play. Uh, Can you get out there and play for us? And I think that that probably agitated him. Uh, And, you know, from the start of the game, he was he was stirring stuff up. And the moment he threw his helmet, which I think was in the second quarter, they went down 24 to three. And he threw it. He threw it far. He let that thing go and he threw it at his own sideline. He threw it back towards the Broncos. I think I I think I would have said, all right, he's done for the day. We're not we're not doing this. Um, and you should have seen then that, you know, this was getting out of hand. And then obviously in the second half, it was every play, Nick, saying something to Rams players after the play. Uh, and then he got and, and then it was the rough in the passer call. And then he was visibly, you know, yelling up and down the sidelines after that play. And they yanked him and sat him for the rest of the game. It, it was just one of those things where it's like, man send that dude to the locker room. Like you can't, you don't know what he's going to do. And it ends up, you know, punching a guy. He's going to be suspended for a game. I know he apologized and all that stuff. It was just, it was just unacceptable, Nick. The whole, that whole outburst was unacceptable to me though. And maybe this is crazy. The, the Reisner ripping exchange to me was actually worse than the Gregory stuff because Gregory was like, okay, he's pissed off. He let the moment get the best of him. The Reisner ripping stuff. That man, that that that's that's the entire offense to me saying, you know, th- that they're done. Like they, I mean, it, it was it was that that was such a bad look, and the way that it, it ended up, and and I know Rippin and and Reisner both said, oh, we're fine or whatever. I can tell you, Nick, I don't know if that's true or not because Rippin was the first one out of the locker room. He was pissed after the game uh, about what happened, and and and. You know, Reisner said, you know, the emotions got the best of me or whatever. That can't happen, man. You can't have your starting left guard, a guy that's been here as long as he has, uh, go after the backup quarterback, who, by the way, Brett Rippon has been nothing but, you know, a genuine, passionate guy. You know, I, I just I don't understand that, Nick. That that interaction rubbed me the wrong way more than the Randy Gregory stuff. Well, see, that was uh quarterback and, and and what and what I've been hearing on social media it was like well how you know can Brett Rippon have the audacity to even say something he's a backup quarterback he hasn't really done anything in his league but guess what he's been a quarterback for this Broncos team for a while backup or not he's played in some games and he's been pummeled himself so that was Brett Rippon going over not just to Dalton Reisner, but just the offensive line as a whole to say, hey, listen, I mean, 
it's okay if you give up a sack. Not not saying that it's okay, but the idea is that, okay, you gave up a sack. Someone gave up a sack, but at least help your quarterback up off the ground. That was kind of what I'm getting that Brett Rippon was trying to communicate to the offensive line. And that's right. Backup or not, he should be upset because what we've seen from this offensive line over the past couple of games have been nothing short of awful, right? Brett Rippon himself had been sacked a couple of times and hit as well. Russell Wilson, 11 hits and six sacks. It seems as though that's kind of the given average for any quarterback that's playing back there. And we joked about it. And I said, well, you know, I wouldn't want to be behind that offensive line. And I know you say you didn't want to be behind that offensive line. So to me, that was a culmination of frustration from a quarterback standpoint saying, I know what's going on. I've been hit too, right? If you're going to allow your quarterback to get hit, at least have the decency to help him up off the ground. And I can say I've been a part of teams where when the quarterback was knocked on the ground, George, they rushed over there to his aid because you're saying, hey, that was my bad. Now, you don't want that many my bad blocks, but when you are part of a unit that's allowing your quarterback, and we can talk about the deficiencies of Russell Wilson, but when we talk about you allowing your quarterback to get hit, you need to at least have the decency to go pick him up. And I wouldn't have been upset if that same fire that Dalton Reisner showed against Brett Rippon, he showed that same fire against the opposing defensive line of the Rams, but we didn't see it. So the optics of everything look bad, and you're right. Here's where the leadership of Latavius Murray comes in. A guy who was came over from the New Orleans Saints, stepped into this environment and was embraced by his team, he came and shoved Dalton Reiser like, hey, hey, man, chill out, right? It's bad enough that things are the way they are from a seasonal standpoint. You don't want to compile them by having this display on national TV, but everyone saw it. And it, it was it was bad for this organization. And, and, and I've never seen anything like this before. And because of this, George, I don't even know if Coach Hackett would ever get another opportunity as a head coach. If he does, it's going to be a long time before that happens. I know, Nick. And, you know, it's just they were in disarray on Sunday, Nick. And I think they had to make a move. And, you know, part of me, and I know a lot of fans don't want to hear this, and I, I kind of tweeted this out too yesterday. You know, a part of me feels bad for Hackett because I, I think, one, he's genuinely a really good dude. Like, I think he is a really nice guy. Um, he's somebody that, you know, treated me well, um, you know, you know, always was, was good with the media and all that stuff. And I know nobody cares about that because, you know, being nice doesn't win football games, but being, being mean doesn't win football games either. No, it doesn't. Uh, so I, you know, I, 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 I don't understand that part, but I also want to say, Nick, and we'll dive into more of this. It's not all his fault. And I, I, I think the players understand that. I think that's what we're going to hear from, from Greg Pinner and George Payton today. You know, there, there's a lot of people that deserve some blame for what has happened this season. Um, you know, the quarterback, Russell Wilson, we'll probably get into a little bit of that. Obviously, he's not played up to expectations. Uh, you know, a lot of guys on this team have been injured. Um, you know, all that stuff. You I mean, George Payton, right? I mean, we got to talk about him. He's the one that hired Hackett. He's the one that traded for Russell Wilson. He's the one that's assembled a large part of this roster. He's got some blame in this. So there, the blame goes all around. Uh, and just because you fire Nathaniel Hackett, and just like you fired Vance Joseph, and just like you fired Vic Fangio, this doesn't fix the problem, right? It's part of the problem. How much? I don't know. But 
Uh, the Broncos have a lot of other issues that they've got to address. So, Nick, let's take a quick break. We'll dive into some of those issues. We'll dive into where things went wrong uh, during the, the short Hackett tenure uh, and maybe some candidates that they might be looking at. So uh, let's take a quick break and we'll dive into all that stuff. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody, we're back from that quick break. And Nick, let's let's dive into to this game because obviously, um, you know, we know all the stuff that led up to this game, but but this one it felt like, a, you know, kind of like a, a, a an avalanche, right? Um, and not in the good way in the terms of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, this was this was a bad avalanche, and uh, it felt like this had maybe been building for weeks, Nick. I, I think that you look back at this season, and obviously things fell apart throughout the year, but I think we were always waiting for this, this game, this type of a game where uh, they finally, you know, everybody kind of stops pulling on the same rope, right? Everybody lets go of the rope. And I think, I think a lot of us thought it was going to be that chiefs game. Remember they're down 27 to nothing. This is the blowout. They're going to get, they're just going to get beat down and, and kind of, you know, give up. Um, but they came back, they fought, they win the next week. Right. I mean, there's a lot of us thinking, I know I was thinking, Nathaniel Hackett's going to save his job. You know, they can, they're, they're going to beat the Rams. Uh, maybe they play the Chiefs tough, and then they beat the Chargers at the end of the season, and Nathaniel Hackett keeps his job. That doesn't happen. They get absolutely blown out, Nick. What did you see in this game uh, that on the field, uh, we, we talked about all the off-the-field stuff, but on the field that was maybe disappointing. I mean, the start, you have to talk about the start, you know, giving up the, the two touchdowns, you know, the first three pass attempts obviously kind of did them in. But after that, it – they didn't even show any signs of life uh, coming back in that game. Yeah, it was uh, the beginning of the game that was really disappointing. And you and I talked about it last week when we were previewing this game. And we were wondering, okay, well, what was going to happen with the offense? One, with Russell coming back from concussion and then also Cortland Sutton being thrust back into the lineup. And, and I was a little cautious about Sutton being in the lineup. And the reason I was was because of the fact that I just thought that there was going to be a heavy emphasis of trying to get Corlin Sutton involved in a game plan. And you can see early on, that's what Russ was trying to do. The, the first play of the game, they took a deep shot on the right side. You know, Corlin Sutton matched up with Jalen Ramsey. That wasn't complete. And then it was a deep crosser route that Russell was trying to throw, but overthrew it. And then it ended up in the hands of the defender. And then you come back in suing possession. He's trying to throw a ball to... Greg Dulcich, Bobby Wagner's own teammate, picks him off. Here's what I would have loved to see Russ do in that situation with the Dulcich play. Because for, for me, you know Bobby is sitting inside. Throw that pass a little outside so that way that Greg Dulcich can kind of fall into the play and you throwing it away from the defender. To me, poor execution, bad decisions on Russ, trying to be too aggressive and make those plays uh, for the offense. And that put the defense in a tough situation. When you're on a short field like that, I mean, yeah, you want to hold or try to hold the team to a field goal, but that didn't happen. And when the Rams just kind of got, I think it was like 17 nothing. to me, that's when the wound was really open because what we saw uh, from the Rams is they started to run the ball. And I, I was thinking, hey, listen, the Broncos are going to stand up. I mean, you got Alex Singleton and Josie Jewell who have been great against the run, but it just reminded me of, Josh Jacobs running through this team yet again. And it just, it just got to a point where it was so frustrating, but it just seemed as though that effort that we saw 
you know, in, in, in the Cardinals game, the effort we saw in the Kansas City Chiefs game, it's like it, it went away. And, and guys just, you know, out of position, not communicating, and, and the body language. That's that's the biggest thing for me defensively. Watching the body language what was so bad, and I was like, someone's going to step up. Someone's going to do something. And I think this is probably where, you know, everything with Randy Gregory got out of control because he was figuring, okay, well, I'm going to bring that fire. I'm going to bring that energy. But it was misguided and misdirected, and that, too, hurt the team. Yeah, I mean, it, it... – it's one thing for the offense to perform bad, right, Nick? Because we've seen it all year. Like the interceptions, maybe not as much in one game, but for them to not score or not be able to move the ball, that to me was like, yep, that checks out, right? Uh, but for the defense to get um, embarrassed like that, and I get it, the first couple touchdown drives, you know, it's tough because it is a short field, uh, especially the second one, right? I mean, they were, I think they were inside the 10 yard line. Um, you know, th- that, you know, is always a tough situation. But the rest of the game, you know, it was just came acres, five yards, eight yards, ten yards. You know, Baker Mayfield play action. Uh, you know, screen pass to Higby or whoever, and they were just dicing them up. And we haven't seen that all year from this defense, Nick. Not no. not one time have we seen that, and it was disappointing because that's that's supposed to be the catalyst of this team, right? That's supposed to be the side of the ball that keeps them in football games. Uh, and, and we didn't see it. And again, I think that that was another, you know, point to letting Hackett go was they could, you, you watch that game and, and you could tell guys had just given up. Like you were saying, the body language, the effort, it wasn't there. And uh, it was just one of those situations on the defense that it's like, man, if the defense isn't doing this, then, you know, I, I where's the team's mental, um, you know, capacity at. So, I don't know, man. We ha- we have to also dive into Russell Russell Wilson, Nick. Um, what did you think of his performance? Obviously, three interceptions. It all three were very bad decisions, in my opinion. Um, you know, they they weren't. I mean, you had guys open. The third one, Nick. That that might be his worst interception of the year, in my opinion, because he rolls out. He's trying to make a play right. He's scrambling. He's got Cortland Sutton open on the sideline. He could run you know, 10, 12 yards probably for a first down. Or he could dump it off to Latavius Murray, who's also right in front of him. Instead, what's he do, Nick? He throws it 40 yards down the field, trying to make a big play, and he's intercepted. So what did you think of of the way Russell played on Sunday? Not exactly the way that you wanted your quarterback to go out and play, especially in the national televised game. And I would dare to say it's one of – you know, Russell's more embarrassing games. Uh, that that play to Greg Dosage encapsulated, I guess, the entire season or Russell Wilson in the Broncos uniform. And he's so used to making those uh, big plays, he was trying to give Greg Dosage an opportunity. And I say this, Greg Dosage is still a, a rookie. I would have loved to see him go up uh, and try to take, you know, take that ball because that's what we call the 50-50 ball, right? That's where you see guys get mossed. And that was... Greg Dose's opportunity to moss Jalen Ramsey, but he was not able to climb over him and just kind of snatch it away. And and, and this is once again in lies a problem. And this is not me trying to dump on Greg Dose's because I still think he's one hell of a player. But my whole thing is using players that you have. You're absolutely right. When you look at setting up progressions or or level routes, Russ had an opportunity to run. He had an opportunity to dump that ball off 
but he saw that as opportunity. Hey, let, let me try to make a play to get our team back into it instead of taking the obvious, which is the check down, which Broncos fans last year got a little upset with Teddy calling him check down Teddy. But when you're in these situations when you're struggling and you're trying to get the offense in the rhythm, George, you have to take those plays. Yeah, everyone wants to chunk play. Everyone wants to splash play because that's how you advance the ball faster and score touchdowns. But it's all about trying to matriculate the ball down the field. And this is something I know Russ is going to learn from. Where does he go from here? We don't know. We, we really don't know. And all of that is going to depend on who's the next coach hired. But more importantly, who's the next offensive coordinator that comes in here. But it was a bad game uh, for Russ. And, you know, just once again, going back to this really quickly, just the body language of guys. It's been a tough season. You know, you have two seasons remaining. It is Christmas. You're away from your family and you're thinking as a player, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. We are being embarrassed and on national television. And it's not like it's one of the losses that they suffered early on in the season where they had eight losses where they lost by one score. No, 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 no. See, there's a difference. See, when you're getting beat down, right, everyone knows it. You know it, right? And sometimes those beatdowns are easy to embrace. But in a season like this where you've lost too many games and just kind of an embarrassing fashion, sometimes that losing takes hold of you. And I don't care who you are. You're going to react as a person in some way. And once again, this is why we saw all that on the field interaction between players and throwing other helmets because of because of that. And Nick, let me ask you this, because I think it's important to get, um, you know, players perspectives. And we will this week, I'm sure. But when the head coach is fired, what's what's the the feeling inside that locker room? I, I mean, obviously, there's probably there's maybe a handful of guys that are like, yeah, you know, you know, they probably didn't believe in Hackett or, you know, weren't his biggest fan. But is there also probably a part of them that's like, man, we let we let this this organization down because it is it is partially on the players, right? When it, when a coach gets fired, uh it's always partially on the players, I would assume, unless you have, you know, an Urban Meyer situation in Jacksonville. Um, and there's things that they can't control off the field. But when you you're getting beat like the Broncos are, and uh I, I'm sure that they feel maybe partially guilty? Am I, am I assuming wrongly there, Nick? And, and how do you think that locker room feels today after, uh, you know, especially some of these veteran guys, Nick, that this is going to be their fifth head coach that they're going to hire in eight years. I mean, at some point you're going to, you got to say, man, like what, is it the coaching or is it, is it uh, a culture and, and player problem? Well, it's always a difficult time. And when you're sitting in that room and the coach is fired, you have to take ownership, right? And I've always said this, it's a 60-40 split. 60 on the coaches, 40 on the players. Now, I'm sure there are some players who are happy about the fact that Hackett being fired because maybe they didn't see eye to eye. They were not doing exactly what uh, they needed to do offensively to get certain players involved. That that happens. That That's kind of a natural uh, course of things. But then there are other guys who are going to feel as though, hey, he was fired, and I had a hand in it. And to me, there's not a single player, not a single player in that locker room that did not contribute to this. Now, let me let, hold on. Let me walk this back just a little. There are a couple of players, those players that were not put in the game, that should have been in the game, that those players are going to say, look, 
if you put, had you put me in the game instead of this other guy, maybe you still will have your job. So it is a breakdown of different things that are going on. But for the majority uh, of it, a lot of those guys are going to say, well, we're on to another coach because there was something I did not do well. No matter what the struggles were, George, offensively, defensively in the game on Christmas, the guys on defense could have tackled. I mean, I can't put that on Russell. I cannot put that on Nathaniel Hackett. Hell, I can't even put that on Azura Evero. When there's a man in front of you, you have to make a tackle. We saw more missed tackles in this game than I think I've seen all season long, right? And that's not on the coach. That's on you as a player. And for me, I always felt like this. It, even when games are going terribly wrong, it is your job to go out there and tackle. You play defense. That is part of your job description. Not going out and fulfilling that job description, that's bad. So if you own this defense, you own this offense, and Hackett is being fired, and there's this press conference, you have to say that we were a part of it. We contributed to it because we didn't do our part. So there are going to be some discussions if there haven't been discussions between players right now as to where the Broncos go for, from here. But the one player, I, once again, I, I feel really sad for is Justin Simmons because this is all he knows. He doesn't know anything any different than this. He just knows losing seasons, missing the playoffs, and oh, by the way, we have another coach coming in. What crew is he going to be bring in this time? Yeah, man, Justin, after the game, Nick, and, and you know, I've covered him now the last three years, and this is the most frustrated and upset I think I've seen him, uh, at least in the last three years. I, you know, I didn't cover him before that, but uh, he is he is new levels of frustration, I think. Um, very short with the media after the game. Um, not a whole lot of hope there. So I, I can't imagine that he's uh, – he's pretty upset. And, and again, you look at, he, he's the one guy that has been in this locker room, you know, uh, not the longest. I know Brandon McManus has been there longer, but uh, one of the longest tenured players. And you just have, you feel for him because he's, he's not even seen what he's seen, maybe one winning season. And it was his rookie year, uh, you know, and, and he didn't play a whole lot. So uh, you feel for him, but Nick, before we uh, take a quick break here, what uh, what will you remember the most of the Nathaniel Hackett tenure? And we could dive into this a little bit too in the last segment. But is there a moment uh, that you're like, you kind of just like you look back, you're like, man, that was crazy because uh, he was only he was only here, Nick, 334 days. I, I looked it up yesterday. That is a very short tenure, but man, did a lot happen in that tenure. You look back. I, I did a kind of a timeline for the Denver Gazette yesterday, Nick. You had the Nuggets game where he shows up a week after being hired. And it's like we're going to score a lot of points. They finished dead last in points per game this year. An incredibly historically bad offense. Uh, you look back at the Russell trade, uh, training camp, they're doing jog throughs. And you're like, oh, yeah, player safety, uh, you know, all that stuff. They end up leading the league in injuries. Uh, preseason, they don't play the starters. You've got the 64-yard field goal to start the year. Uh, the Colts-Broncos game, which is by far the worst football game I've ever watched. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on the Carolina frustrations, right. Between Mike Purcell and Russell Wilson and Hackett saying, Oh, I didn't see it. It's like, you were right there. Um, you know, there are so many Nick, uh, and, and we got, we got to take a break. So maybe let, let's have you think about it, Nick. Uh, and then we'll kind of dive into a little bit of that. And then I also, Nick, we, we got to get to 
you know, they're going through a coaching search. And I think it starts today, right? I mean, that's you get a two-week head start with the new NFL rules. I would assume they're going to start interviewing or at least putting together a list of candidates. Uh, so we'll dive into all of that, Nick, uh, after this quick break. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody. Welcome back from that quick break. Nick, I just named all the bad stuff that has happened <laughs> this year uh, for the Broncos. What's what's maybe when you look back at this season or uh, Hackett's tenure, where do you think what things went wrong? Um, and, and, you know, when you list it all out, it's like, man, yeah, that they kind of probably needed to make a move. There was just too much to overcome for him. Well, for me, in order to get to the end, you always have to start at the very beginning. And that's where I start. I start with that Seattle Seahawks game. Russ returned uh, to Seattle. Uh, was he going to get booed? How was he going to perform and handle facing against uh, Pete Carroll? And the team moved the ball, two fumbles inside the red zone. I mean, one for Javante Williams, one for Melvin Gordon. And things seemed to get off the rail. There was a little clock management issues as far as special teams and lay of game. There were penalties. And it was like, okay, well, what what are the Broncos are going to do? They're moving the ball down the field. It's a fourth and five situation. Do you give Russell an opportunity to pick up that first down? Or you decide to give McManus a long field goal, which, you know, not too many kickers have had success kicking long field goals uh, in Seattle. But they gave McManus a shot. It didn't work out. To me, that's where the problem started. Because a couple of weeks following that, we would have Jerry Rosberg, who's now the interim head coach for the Denver Broncos, now be signed on to the team to help out with analytics and in-game adjustments. For me, that was the beginning of the end because you usually make those decisions to bring and complete staff, bring guys in to help complete your staff, you know, at the beginning of the season. You don't do it maybe the fourth or fifth week of the season. To me, that showed me that, well, Hackett really doesn't know everything that, that he's doing, and he needs to bring out some outside counsel when he's hired some guys that he's previously worked with, and this was supposed to be their responsibility as, as far as helping him. So he was trying to be the OC, and he was trying to manage the game as a head coach at the same time. Didn't mesh. The same thing happened with Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator, and he was trying to be a head coach in-game management issues, time clock, all of those things were a disaster. He was fired. So I was thinking, well, if this is the first game, I mean, what are we destined for as Broncos fans moving forward? And lo and behold, Nathaniel Hackett becomes another one of those fired coaches. Yeah. You look back, I mean, Nick, you look back that that 64-yard field goal, you're like, man, that was the beginning of the end. And um, then you look the next week, Nick, and you forget that was the game against the Texans that they're counting. The fans were counting down the play clock to help the Broncos avoid getting delay of games. The next week they hired Jerry Rosberg. And it's like, that's, that's a bad sign when, yeah. you know, three games in and you're hiring a guy to tell you when to use your timeouts um, and, and how to manage a game. And then, you know, you, you look at the, you, you had to give up play calling when he gave up play calling, that was that was kind of the indication that this is it. Yeah. Uh, because when you, I mean, his duties by the end of the year 
were handed off. I mean, he, he wasn't managing the game. Jerry Rosberg was, or he was, but Jerry Rosberg was in his ear kind of telling him how to manage the game. And now he's not calling plays. It's like, wait a second. What did you hire him to do? Um, so I think that that was kind of the downfall. But but Nick, you know, enough reminiscing on the past. The Broncos are now in a coaching search. I would I would assume they're going to start interviewing guys maybe as soon as this week. Um, who Who's maybe on your radar? I know the big names have been floated out there, right? Sean Payton, everybody wants Sean Payton. Uh, Dan Quinn, obviously, is another name that, you know, everybody's been talking about because his time in Seattle, he knows Russell Wilson. His buddies with George Payton, I believe they have the same agent. Obviously, he was a finalist last year for the job. Uh, there's some other interesting names out there um, that I'm sure we'll get to. But, Nick, who kind of stands out? And what, what should the Broncos be looking for in this head coach? Well, well, first and foremost, George, you know, I'm going to push the head coach to the side. Because, in, in my opinion, it's not really about the head coach. It is about the offensive coordinator. So that's where you need to start because you say, okay, well, what's been the biggest issue from for this team? You know, I know we see we have that that lasting memory of the Rams game, so we think defense. No, it's not the defense, right? It is the offense. How did you fix the offense? Or better yet, the idea is how do you fix Russ? So the head coach has nothing to do with it. Who the head coach hires as the OC changes so much because that guy has to be able to relate to Russell. He has to be able to push Russell a little harder. He has to be able to design plays to get Jerry Judy involved in the game plan instead of waiting to later in the game and also use Greg Dosage and the weapons that the Broncos have on their roster. More importantly, come in with a little bit of influence and figure out through player evaluation what veterans are you going to go out and try to plug and play in this offense? And finally, finally finding uh, a right tackle, something that the Broncos could not do for years. So the most important person that the Broncos could hire isn't the head coach, George. It is the offensive coordinator because that is where Hackett won this job over, what was it, the nine other guys that? Uh, yeah, yeah nine other guys, yeah. For this job, that's where he won the job, saying we're going to score points. And we still haven't seen that yet. So it is the OC, not the head coach, that I'm intrigued to see who's hired. Yeah, and I, I think that you, you you also, though, Nick, because I agree with you, 100% agree with you. But I think they also, they also got to hire somebody with some experience as a head coach, in my opinion, because – the last three have have were burnouts, right? Like you you got you you hired three first time head coaches, none of them worked out. Now, I still think Vance Joseph got a raw deal. Even Vic Fangio, to a degree, got a raw deal in terms of uh, what they were you know coming into into with with the roster and and the quarterback situation. But I think that you've got to go out and get a guy that maybe has some sort of head coaching experience because this is this this game management and all that stuff, controlling a team that was, it was evident Hackett didn't have that. So I, I think that that's important. And then number two, like you said, is the offense, somebody that can come in here and fix Russell Wilson, because let's face it, Nick, if Russell Wilson doesn't work out next year, you're looking at a situation where you're probably going to have to get rid of him in some degree. Either you try to trade him, which is going to be very difficult to do if he's not playing well, or you're going to cut him. 
And that is going to obviously be a huge cap hit in terms of the money and, and your roster is going to be depleted because you aren't going to have money to pay guys. So you're bringing somebody in. That's, that's the part that makes this really difficult, Nick, for whoever is going to get this job. I think it's an attractive job. job. Don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of people out there saying it's not. But what makes it really difficult for a lot of these coaches is they could come in here, Nick. They could try to fix Russell Wilson. If they don't fix Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's going to get cut. Then all of a sudden you're probably sitting there with either a rookie quarterback or a makeshift quarterback, uh, you know, in there. And you're going to be, you're going to be left with a roster that isn't getting paid very much because they don't have the money because they're going to spend 60 something million dollars to cut Russell Wilson. So that's, what's going to make it really hard. Nick, this, this, this coaching search, this is, this is the most important hire in my opinion, in Broncos franchise history. I don't know about the seventies and sixties and all that, Nick, but in recent Broncos franchise history, this is by far the most important hire because you have to bring somebody in here that can fix this because if they don't fix it, Nick, they are in, they are in hell for the next few years. Like they are, they are going to be, I, I think in the bottom of the league uh, in terms of winning and, and, and they already are. I mean, they, the, the, the stat that Adam Schefter put out there yesterday about they're the first team in NFL history, Nick, to win the Super Bowl and then miss the playoffs seven straight years after that. And six of those years were losing teams. They weren't even winning game. Like they're they're not they don't have a winning record. So they're already this is the worst stretch in franchise history. You've got to get this higher right. And that's why I think it's important to get somebody with some experience. And you're you're right, Nick. They've got to get the right offensive mind in here. And that's why there's a few names out there. You know, you hire Dan Quinn, right? Maybe he brings Brian Schottenheimer, who was the offense coordinator in Seattle, uh, I believe 2018 to 2020. Russell had some some years in there that he was considered for MVP when he was the offense coordinator. You've got uh, Daryl Bevel, right, uh, who I believe is the uh, passing game coordinator now in, uh, in, in Miami. He was the offensive coordinator in Seattle. And I know a lot of people out there, Nick, because I floated some of those names out there, and they're like, well, Russell didn't like those guys. That's too bad because it doesn't matter. They got to start winning some football games. Russell needs to start looking like he did in Seattle or else this is we're going to be sitting here, Nick, a year from now talking about the next guy that got fired as the Broncos head coach. Sorry, well, I just went on a rant. I just went on a rant. That, that's uh, it, It's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough day uh, for us all. But when Hackett was originally hired, I thought that was kind of the direction he was going to go in, right? Because it kind of made sense. You go out and trade for Russell Wilson. You give up a couple first-round picks and some players. So you say, okay, well, we had a system in Green Bay. Russell is not uh, Aaron Rodgers, and we don't really have all those types of players to deploy that system. So let's kind of build a system around him. Oh, more importantly, let's go out and get a guy who Russell is familiar with or vice versa. And you're right. It doesn't make a difference if, for whatever reason, you didn't get along with that guy. You had some of your best numbers as a professional with Dare Bevel calling plays. And then it was uh, Schottenheimer as well. So you try to get those guys in the building. And also, here's another thing that I've seen other coaches do in the past. When you get a guy like a Russell Wilson and you're not really sure how to game plan and connect with him from a play calling standpoint, what you do is you reach out to other guys, maybe on the collegiate level, and this is where, you know, a lot of guys have gotten a lot of information from Lincoln Riley by calling him. How do you run an offense with a quarterback like a Russell Wilson? Because let's be totally honest. 
he's a little different than some of your statuesque quarterbacks. See, this is where you start talking about Tua. You start you talking about uh, guys like Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, guys with a certain uh, creative skill set that can throw the ball on the move, a Josh Allen. You start looking at in the college ranks because we've seen an influx of college plays, uh, hence the RPO, come from the college game and utilize in the pro game to uh, to to be really effective. So this is what you try to do. But bringing a guy like Dan Quinn, obviously he's been down this road before. He didn't get the job. He would inherit a good quality defense. But you need to bring someone in for Russ. But there, there are other names that have uh, come out as well. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's name has been mentioned. Uh, you know, he is a hot candidate. Uh, also Frank Wright, which Frank Wright spent some time with Peyton Manning and uh, in, in Indianapolis. But Frank Wright has been great from an offensive coordinator standpoint, not so much as a head coach. So do you want to go down that road? And also one last person, uh, D'Amico Ryans, defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Hasn't had a lot of head coaching experience, but quickly has risen through the ranks based on how well he's got that 49ers defense plan. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many names out there right now. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle this. because, And I think it's important to note, Nick, uh, you know, w- when they uh, announced the firing, Greg Penner put in his um, his his statement that he will be leading the search. And I'm sure George Payton will have his input. He'll be there. He'll be a part of it. He'll play a, a part. But Greg Penner is going to be the one making this hire. Uh, and I think that's important to note because it tells you, one, how obviously dedicated Greg Penner is to fixing this thing. And also it tells you kind of where the faith level is in George Payton. Obviously, George Payton got this last hire wrong. He led the search. He's the one that made the hire. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, do they have a big list of candidates last year? Like I said, they had 10 candidates. Uh, I think only maybe one of them was a previous head coach. I expect that to change. And that was Dan Quinn. Obviously the rest of them would have been first time head coaches, I believe. Uh, And a lot of them were offensive coordinators or guys that, you know, were offensive minded guys, Eric B you had Kevin O'Connell, uh, I believe uh, Brian Callahan, you know, for the for, from the Bengals. So you had a, a lot of different young guys, charismatic. I think they'll they'll go a little bit different this time. Uh, and I think that the number one question will be, how are you going to fix the offense? Um, I really do. I, how, how are you going to fix Russell Wilson specifically? Is is a question I think that they will be asked uh, in those interviews. So I'm excited to see the candidate list. I, I think there's a lot of really good candidates out there, Nick. At least it appears to be. Right. Uh, do you go after Sean Payton, which would obviously cost a lot of money, which they have the money to do so. Uh, but also it would also cost some draft picks. You'd have to send to the Saints. Um, you know, Frank Reich, I think, is an interesting one. I think you could almost hire someone and maybe bring in Frank Reich as the offense coordinator, Nick, uh, if Frank Reich doesn't get hired as the head coach. Shane Steichen is an interesting name. The Eagles offensive coordinator, obviously what he's been able to do with Jalen Hurts uh, and what they're doing in, in, in Philadelphia he would be a first-time head coach. Um, you know, Brian Callahan, like I mentioned, I think will probably come up again with the Bengals. <clears throat> you know, Kellen Moore in Dallas was a guy they interviewed last year. I wonder if he comes up again. And so th- there's a lot of, you know, young uh, first-time head coaches out there. But, again, I think they'll lean towards, you know, former head coaches. I think Daryl Bevel is an interesting one just because he's he knows Russell probably as well as anybody in his style of play. Uh, he's never been a head coach. He was an interim head coach for a period of time, but I don't know. Maybe he's a guy. I don't know, Nick. It, 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 look, before we get out of here, because I'm, I'm going overboard here, 
I just want to know, Nick, who's your guy? Who who are who have you circled? And we'll circle back this when they hire him, Nick, because I'm sure you'll be right. You'll you'll predict who they're gonna hire. But who would you hire? If you're if you're Greg Pinner and you're looking around at candidates, who's your guy? Well, the guy I'm gonna think Sean. <clears throat> Uh, I know it's going to be a little expensive to get him, but when you think about it, it, it fits perfectly. He went into New Orleans. He changed that offensive line. He has a quarterback that people wrote off in Drew Brees, and Drew Brees just threw for a godly amount of uh, of yards. Russell can do that same thing, and he is going to be a coach that's going to come in and instill accountability, and here's why. He's a Bill Parcells guy, and I'm a Bill Parcells guy. That's a no-nonsense guy, and that's someone that brings in accountability across the board. So my first pick would be uh, Sean Payton. I'll just have to kind of evaluate and go through some some back history and the resume of some of these other coaches, but we'll get into that later. But right now, uh, the front runner for me is Sean Payton. Be a great hire. Be a great hire. I know for me, I would hire Nick Ferguson. Um, and pull, I pull a Colts and get Nick Ferguson in the building. Uh, he'd turn this sucker around, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. Nick, we'll break down, uh, you know, maybe we'll come up with a list of candidates next week and, and we can kind of break each one down or, or not next week, this week. Um, because no offense to the Chiefs and Chargers, but those games at this point, it's like you, you want to go in and, and all that, but uh, at this point, uh, you know, everybody's focused on what are they going to do at the, the head coaching spot. So, We'll get into that later this week on Thursday. Nick, I know you and I are heading out to this press conference. It's going to be really interesting to hear from Greg Pinner and George Payton. I don't think we've heard from either of them uh, since the London trip, which is obviously a long time ago. So um, make sure you guys check that out. Uh, We will be back later this week. So make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about in these next few weeks. So thanks again, and we will see you guys later this week.